0: Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As always, you can reach us at food at MarkBitman.com. We're happy to answer questions, hear suggestions, comments, criticisms, whatever you want to send us. And um, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and also consider subscribing to the Bittman Project, which is at bitmanproject.com, our near daily newsletter. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Kate and I have with us today the first famous food guy I ever met and that is Jacques Pepin, who is almost exactly 15 years my senior, and we met when I was 34, and he was 49 or thereabouts. And, uh, man, was I overwhelmed. <laughs> it was really something. We had a mutual friend who said, why don't you come to dinner with uh, my friend Jacques and this guy Pierre, and da 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 Turned out to be Jacques and Pierre Frenet and a couple other sort of famous New York French chef types, and um, I just kept quiet and listened. It was really interesting. Over the years, Jacques and I both lived in Connecticut. Over the years, we became closer, and um, I I think Jacques is one of the wisest people in the food industry ever, and certainly of his generation. Really brilliant guy, very, very thoughtful, a terrific home cook, although he was a a trained and much revered restaurant chef, he is among the best home cooks you'll ever encounter. Highly, highly skilled, but very inventive, very creative, into quick cooking, into real cooking, just one of the originators. And um, he's the guy who said to me, a recipe is like a river you never put your foot in it the same way twice. And I'm pretty sure we talk about this for a while in the course of this conversation, What else is there to say? He is the author of 20, 30 really, really good books, including the deservedly famous La Technique and La Method. But his books have become simpler and more beautiful and uh, more accessible over the years. And the latest is called Art of the Chicken, which is a very personal, gorgeous, useful little thing. Uh, We're going to talk about that and many other things in our conversation. So here are me and Kate Bittman with Jacques Pepin. When we first met, and I've quoted this conversation so many times that that probably I'm getting it wrong, but when we first met, you said to me that a recipe is like a moment in time or like a river, that it's never the same twice. And I'm wondering, first of all, did I get that right? And second of all, can you unpack that a little bit for us?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's pretty accurate, you know. I mean, uh, this is probably the, not the problem, but uh, the, the fact that when you write a recipe, uh, you write it down according to what's going on at that time. I mean, there is there a chicken, which is exactly the same amount of fat too, and you cook with gas, you cook with electric, cast iron, enamel, you know, you're in a good mood, you're in a bad mood. It's summer, it's winter, it's humid, it's not humid. So there's absolutely no way a certain extent the recipe can be the same so uh, when you write a recipe down by definition you relate what's going on that day you put a and b together and it looks a bit dry so you put a third of a cup of water in it so you may never have to put a third of a cup of water when you do it again the point is that uh, you have no choice to do that so the problem is that you write that recipe down and it becomes this is the way you do that recipe so on a philosophical level, at least, the fact of writing a recipe probably destroys it, you know, <laughs> uh, because that's it, you, you've done it. But uh, still, I would tell people when you follow a recipe, whoever wrote the recipe, you should follow it exactly the way it is, at least the first time. And uh, if you like it, you're likely to do it again. And the next time you do it maybe again the same by the third time you say, say hey, I put a bit more tomato in Iraq with this, that too. And eventually you massage it enough to so it become your own. And maybe a year later, two years, you don't even remember where it comes from. That's how you do that recipe. And that's the right process for me, that uh, of making recipe, you know.
0: Kate has a similar question, but I will just say that has had such a profound influence on me. I think we had that conversation. I honestly think we had that conversation in 1985. So that's 40, almost 40 years ago.
3: So I actually have a question about recipes too, because my sister and I are, we're both cooks. We cook very differently. She's super comfortable improvising. And I have always been sort of a slave to recipes, but recently I've definitely become more confident and have sort of experimented more and done my own thing. There was a bit in your new book where you write, and I'm quoting you here, as a professional cook, I always start a new recipe with an idea of how to combine one ingredient with another. This idea may have been triggered by what I see in my garden or at the market or what I ate at a restaurant or with a friend or by reading about food. So I'm finally getting to a place where I think about those two initial ingredients. And you're, of course, way more evolved than that and can build those two ingredients into a fully-fledged dish. But I'd love to hear a little more about that process because I do think it's an interesting concept for home cooks who want to move past cooking from recipes, who sort of have gotten past that initial recipe level and are ready to really be more creative in the kitchen.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't agree with the fact that I've spoken to many people who say, you know, I never follow a recipe. Take a recipe and right away they change it too. And I don't think it's fair to whoever wrote the recipe because you don't really know what it should taste like if you've never done it. That's what I said. At least once or twice, you should do it exactly the way it is written in uh, that particular recipe. Then, after you go on your own, of course, there is absolutely no way that your taste can be exactly the same than mine. You know, if I take you to 10 greatest restaurants in the world, I'm going to pick four maybe of those things that are extraordinary. And maybe four say they are very, very good. And a couple of them, and I don't really get it. And uh, you may, of course, have a totally different reaction. Ultimately, my reaction is purely a uh, narcissistic reflection on my own taste. The one that I picked up coincides exactly with my sense of taste, with my sense of aesthetic, and so forth. So I pick up those. It cannot be the same for you. And, and uh, you know, the, this is the funny part of it, because when I teach at BU, for example, uh, I do like the perfect meal, one of the dishes that I used to do, a roast chicken, a boiled potato, and a salad. Too. Then they're all supposed to do it. I have 15 students. Well, I know before they start, I say, please, you have the basket, you have all your ingredients. I know you're going to blow my mind and make it different, but don't you know, torture yourself to make it different because whether you like it or not, uh, I am going to have 15 different chickens. A couple of them overcooked, a couple undercooked, some births, some this, some cold, some hot, but it will be different because you cannot really do it exactly the same than the guy next to you. So you don't have to torture yourself to be different than the other. Just cook according to your own guts and go and see what you can do. To be more creative or, I don't know if Use that word in the kitchen. It's a uh, it's a question of time too. It's a question of uh, of uh, you know knowledge. A question of doing and doing it again. The thing is that for me, as an apprentice, you know, I was in apprenticeship in nineteen forty nine. So, and at that time, it was a way of learning. You know, when you are a kid, thirteen years old, the chef said, "Do that." You would never have said why. If you had said why, you would have said because I just told you. That's what I'm about and. And that's how you work for at least a year. And one day the chef tells me, tomorrow you start at the stove. I said, me? I didn't think that I knew anything at the stove. And through some type of osmosis, yes, I learned, so that was one way of learning. But you know, the repeat and repeat and repeat of those movements, of those techniques, it becomes part of your DNA, and uh, that's why I can look at, uh, do a television show, look at the camera and think in terms of, uh, of uh, the texture of the ingredient or the color or this and that, that. I don't have to worry about my hand working. And that, that's very good. I transcend the level at which I have to think about those. And so, those techniques for me are very important. That being said, I know a fair amount of chefs who are very good technicians, can run a kitchen very well, and they got good food costs. And a relatively lousy cook so uh, again <laughs> you know the techniques are important <laughs> certainly if you see someone like Thomas Keller or Daniel Bouleau they are very good technicians but they are more than that you know they have creativity they are they have uh, they have constants they have they have many other qualities you know to bring to the level at which they are so
0: i'm curious you, you've been cooking as you just said for
2: 73 years or whatever
0: what are you cooking these days? What are you enjoying when you're in the kitchen?
2: Well, you know, certainly now I have a lot of uh, tomatoes in my garden. Last night I had sweet shorts from the garden, some tomato, and uh, I probably do less and less layers now with my garden. But I have a lot of rougala, I have salad too. So ultimately, yes, I had a friend for dinner last night. I did a piece of chicken and we did well. I have a friend who brought me. 50 oysters. So we had oysters to start with, and, uh, and uh, we had a piece of chicken, some arugula, uh, salad, and uh, some Swiss chard from the garden, and some pear for the said. That was, you know, nothing really very special. But uh, certainly, also, the point is that I know I'm going to be 87 years old, so my metabolism is quite different than it used to be. And as a young chef, you tend to add and to add, and maybe to add to the plate, maybe more. In the book I did, like uh, The Art of Cooking and so forth. As you get older, then you tend to relieve, relieve, retreat from the plate to be left with something more essential, uh, uh, you know, uh, without too much embellishment. You know, I don't need, if I have a tomato out of the garden, get a perfect uh, ripe color, temperature, and a bit of salt on top, olive oil, that's it.
3: I loved reading your new book, Art of the Chicken, and I don't think you even need to be someone who's interested in food to read it because the stories are also picturesque and there are actually a couple of them that we wanted to ask you about because I actually didn't know that your mom ran a restaurant and that you grew up there in the restaurant. How old were you when you started going in? And is that where you learned to cook?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we live there. We live in the same place. So it's not like you go to the restaurant. You know, I don't remember ever my two brothers and I coming back from school and telling my mother or my father, I'm bored. Say, you're what? You're, are you kidding? When we came back from school, no one ever asked you to do your homework. That was your problem. But everyone kind of grabbed you to peel potato or to wash the bottle in the cellar or to do something <laughs> it's, it's age six or seven. So we try to hide and do or oh, oh, <laughs> there is no way that I would have said, Oh, I'm bored for <laughs> so what? Okay, great. So, you know, I don't know, some age five, six, we yeah, we work, we did one thing or another, carrying stuff or you know, the bottle from the center, or washing the bottle, or doing one thing or another, or picking up the eggs from the chicken or feeding the chicken or whatever.
3: My six year old asked me today if there was some work that he could do to make money. So I think I'll take a page. I think I'll take a page from your mother's book. And <laughs>
2: yeah, It's it's pretty fascinating. I mean, next week for the foundation, uh, you know, I have a foundation I'm cooking in New York, on you know, Friday, the hot bread kitchen, I think it's called. It's part of a community kitchen that we work with my, my foundation for that type of stuff. Mostly my son-in-law. But in any case, I've been to those places, mostly black kids and black or brown. And, I've been amazed sometimes, you know, we're talking about the chicken there on, on some kid, six, eight years old. For them, a chicken is rectangular with plastic on top. It doesn't have feet or head. <laughs> it doesn't exist. So it's pretty scary at some point. And without any question, the kid, uh, you know, when Claudine was a year and a half old, I hold her in my hand. She stirred the pot. I said, eh, mélange, you know, so, so she, quote, ate it because she made it. You know that. And likewise with my, my granddaughter. You know, she sits next to me at the store when she was on a little bench at the, at the, at the counter when she was uh, four or five years old. Uh, so, they get, get some parsley. In the so, that's not parsley. That's sharp. tested it. That's parsley. Okay, that. They gave me those tomatoes. You think they arrived? Did you smell them? Those pears? you think those tomatoes, I didn't smell are smell? She touched it. She goes to. And bring me the salad is washed. It's clean. You know, so it established a kind of platform you know, and of course you you sit down and you share the meal, which is even the better part of it, and that continue a conversation which often moves somewhere else, and that's the beauty of it. But you cannot have the kid eating different than you do, eating hot dog or stuff or whatever the kid eats, uh, uh, You know, both uh, food, and you do a you know a, a rack of lamb for your guest, and the kid eat different. And after the kid, the first communion or mitzah or whatever, uh, you move them at the table and say, okay, and now you eat with us. Kids <laughs> are not eating that stuff, you know. So, yeah, it has to start. When Claudine was small, I don't think I ever bought once a baby food. You know, whatever we cooked that night, before I put too much salt or pepper in it, I put it in the food processor or in the blender at the time and make a puree to. Uh, so she was used to. Clam and spaghetti, whether it was in a period, but she was used to that taste. She was five, six years old, you know? So, yeah. We did that, too.
3: I've already messed that up, but I'm trying to get back on track.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
0: These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants could cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, You will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. Hi folks, a word from our friends at Made In. Did you know that most of the dishes in Tom Calicchio's craft restaurant are made-in, made-in pots and pans? The braised short ribs? Made-in, made-in. The Rohan duck? Made-in, made-in. The heritage pork chop? You got it. Made-in, made-in. Which isn't surprising. Made-in has been supplying top chefs and restaurants with high-end cookware for years. For the simple reason that Made-in makes exactly what demanding chefs are looking for. Their carbon steel cookware, for example, combines the best of cast iron and stainless steel, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. Best of all, Made In is sold online, so their professional-grade cookware is far more affordable than other iron brands. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're Made In, Made In. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit madeincookware.com. That's madeincookware.com. Thanks.
3: I understand that many chefs have horror stories about kitchens that they've worked in, but I was particularly amazed by the chef Koule story about the grilling.
2: Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can
3: you can you talk about it? Do you mind recounting it for us? It was you were 16.
2: Uh, yeah, I was barely 16. Yeah, I was 16. I finished a partnership at 16 and did the season, the season in ex levin you know, at uh, the Hotel d'Albion there. And uh, you know, the, the season was seven days a week, four months, no day off because the, the hotel is open four months. And I was sent to the the first time I went I was sent to the grill. So, the grill there, there was two grills, one for fish, one for meat, with charcoal, of course, too. And, uh, but I mean, the chef there, that old guy was, uh, you know, uh, like a, a kind of a dictator. Uh, I mean, we had to turn everything with our finger, you know, uh, no touch, no metal has to touch it, no puncture with fork or whatever. So, you know, we had a bowl of water, you dip your finger in the water and rather up grab the thing, turn it, put it back, your feet in the water, but still, by my, tip of my finger was kind of uh, white by the end of the summer, you know, all burned, especially I remember at the time we were doing a mixed grill, and the mixed grill was a little lamb chop, a little slice of, uh, of cast liver, uh, a slice of bacon, a tomato, and uh, a tomato and a mushroom. All of that was on the plate. that has to be turned, so that was kind of uh, ridiculous. That guy had a, a, little, uh, a little motorcycle, an Albion, yeah, and we could we Alcyon. Yeah. The, and since the hotel was on the hill, we could hear him in the morning coming here. That that thing made a lot of noise. And by that time no one was in the kitchen, just hearing it from the bottom of the hill. Everyone jumped out of bed, get into the kitchen. He came in, take a look, everyone was there then he went to change in his office, you know. So <laughs> 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 <Where are we? laughs>
3: it's like an alarm <laughs> clock.
2: Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, you learn like that with some people who are uh, at the rate. I mean, certainly at the time, it was pretty common to get kicked in the ass or get a thing like this now, which is a bit different. Now you don't learn this way. No,
0: when I was young, only French people wanted to be chefs, or pretty much only French people wanted to be chefs. Certainly no one my age ever talked about becoming a chef, let alone a food writer, which didn't even exist, of course, at the time. How do you think things have evolved in kitchens since your experiences with as an apprentice, as a young chef or a young, young would-be chef? I don't know.
2: I mean, you know, I haven't worked in France in decades, you know, in the kitchen, so... I wouldn't, but uh, certainly it has changed now. Uh, I am uh, still—I mean, people maybe one of the biggest change would be that more woman in the kitchen or that type of things too. But not really for me because that's actually where I come from. It was only woman in the kitchen, <laughs> right? And <laughs> uh, you know, and frankly, even after that, uh, you know, I've done thirty one cookbook, uh, like eight publisher. I have never had a man with my editor. I have done 13 series of 26 shows with PBS. 13 series of 26 shows. That's hundreds and hundreds of shows. It was already a woman with was my, my producer, executive producer, too. I, uh, for eight years, uh, almost 10 years, in the New York Times, I had a column, too. So I, I think I had three editor every three, four years was already a woman. I opened the French Culinary Institute. Uh, I was hired by Dorothy Kahn, was a woman, with my boss. And I've been teaching at Boston University for 34 years now, Rebecca Allison, who uh, 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 hired me and was my boss for all those years. So in a sense, for me, I've always worked with women, much more than with men. So, uh, but yes, certainly the kitchen is different. We want to explore history a little bit more. You
0: were, I, I don't know how many people, and people will know this when they read Art of the Chicken, but you were Charles de Gaulle personal chef and then you moved to the states where you were offered and turned down a chef a job as um john kennedy's personal chef and you went to work for howard johnson's with pierre frenet
2: can you talk a little bit about that decision and that experience yes i mean you know when i work with the i work with three presidents under the fourth republic in france between 56 and 58 the other 58 i uh, of course, was never come to have some kudos in the dining room. It didn't exist. I had never had an interview with television barely existed. But a magazine or newspaper, or the, that did not exist, period. At all. The cook was in the stove behind the kitchen. And if anyone came to the kitchen because something went wrong and you were going to get yelled at, that, that was about the end of it. You know, I saw people like Eisenhower, Neri, Tito, Macmillan, those were the head, uh, the head of state you know, at the time. Kind of sneak behind the door to try to take a peek of them, but uh, that was about it. So, when I came to New York and work at the Pavillon, and then uh, because of the story at the Pavillon, so we turned up being at La Caravelle. That uh, uh, Roger Fessagui called me. They need a chef at the White House. They want to to have you and so forth. And. Uh, I had no inkling and no idea to be truthful of the potential of publicity or stuff because of what I had been exposed to was totally different. In fact, at that time, if I recall exactly, uh, it was a woman who was chef at the White House before René Verdant too. no one would have known her name. Too. It took exactly the same thing here that it was in France. No one knew what was a, a lady from the South somewhere. So uh, we end up, they called me once and they called me another time, a couple of weeks later. And I said, no, I had started studying at Columbia uh, too, and I had some friends in New York already. I didn't really want to change, but to be truthful, I had no idea anything of that type of potential. Uh, I ended up going to Howard Johnson. You know, I learned about American eating habits, about chemistry of food, about production, about many things like that. Eventually, I opened a potagerie 10 years after Howard Johnson. I worked there 10 years. Uh, I opened a potagerie on Fifth Avenue. Then I was a consultant for the Russian Tea Room, years. then I opened the World Trade Center with Joe Bond, set up the commissary and the whole food operation. To I would never have been able to do any of those jobs without the training of Howard Johnson. As a French chef, I knew nothing about production, marketing, American it. so Howard Johnson was very... Very beneficial. It was well, very good. It was another w- world. You know? So, but it was maybe based on some type of conviction or, or whatever. No, it was just because I didn't realize <laughs> it was a potential world. I guess
0: this is not a question. I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about Pierre, if if you'd like to do that. If you don't want to do that,
2: that's fine. We move on. Of course, you know, when I came to America, uh, I, I arrived. I came on a student boat, and I took the train from uh, Montreal up to uh, Grand Central, took a, a cab to get to uh, a guy who had a restaurant called La Toc Blanche. Uh, there who was kind of my sponsor, too. And the day after, he took me to to the pavilion. And uh, already there, I came with all my certificates in France. You know, you show your certificates, you work in quality of such and such, from that amount to that amount, whether it was with De Gaulle or with Blasant, and they have all my certificate. You didn't want to see them, you know, it doesn't matter. You were here there to find, so to have a chef to become he said, No, Pierre, you call me Pierre. I said, well already, already it has changed within France, just the, the attitude and all that of the chef. And so I started at the pavilion right away, and of course I became very friends with Pierre and, and his family and so forth at the time. And then by extension with Craig. I mean, you know. Uh, I knew Helen McCullough, was the full editor of the call, Art Beautiful. I live on 52nd, Saigon, I live on 50th Street. And I uh, I met Helen uh, uh, so she can uh, become my, my surrogate mother, if you want. Through Helen, I met James Beard. And uh, I, I met Helen, actually, through Craig, because Craig came to review the Pavilion and did, and uh, talked with Pierre, and they talked to me. So... Uh, so six months after I was here, I knew the, the, the trinity of cooking in America, which was James Beard, Julia Charles, and Craig lebo So the, the world of food was really very small, very, very small at the time. I didn't know one white American chef, you know, I, li- I live in New York. All the chefs that I knew at the big hotel, restaurant, uh, Hilton Hotel were Italian, French, a lot of Swiss, uh, French, German too. and uh, and that's it. The first American chef that I met was Howard Johnson. When Mr. Johnson said, you have to work in a restaurant for a few months. Well, I went on Queens Boulevard there uh, and uh, get into the Howard Johnson on Queens Boulevard for like three months, whatever. Uh, you, you do as you do in the kitchen. You, know, you show your, uh, what you can do and uh, uh, you know, start flipping burger and uh, working on, the, on things that I hadn't worked on before. You know, mashed potato, uh, brown potato, Hot dog, burger, eggs. So, yes, I learned a great deal too. You've had incredible
0: experiences, amazing accomplishments, gone past where most chefs could ever hope to go. And yet, you've done something that almost no chefs have done before, which is write good recipes and done that thousands and thousands of times. Was there a transitional period in there? Because, you know, you know as well as I do that most chefs don't write good recipes,
2: but you do. You're absolutely right. I mean, I never had, I didn't have one book. I had the Repertoire de la Cuisine, the tiny thing, because we had it in Paris in my pocket when you work at different restaurants. So what is that garnish? That's about the only book I ever had. I came to America and then I started and had a Howard Johnson then I started setting up recipe. That's what I was director of research and development. So I was there to start making recipe too. With Pierre, we started with three chicken and we finished with 3000 pounds of chicken, you know, doing a, uh, but pie or whatever. But then that was like a longer particip- 10 years for me to make recipe, to organize it too. And I think I'm pretty, uh, Cartesian this way. So I like to organize and, and clear and so forth. So, uh, I've always was interested in this. So, yes, but that's at Howard Johnson that I learned to, to write recipe. no question. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Were you horrified by American food when you got here?
2: Not really, actually. You know, I live uh, on 50th and 1st Avenue on top of La yeah, that restaurant that I had there. And my first exposure was there to go to a restaurant, to, to go to a, to a supermarket, which just happened. It was relatively new, the supermarket. I thought it was fantastic. I didn't have to the butcher, this this. everything was under the same roof, except all of a sudden I realized there was a lot of package, a lot of package, a lot of package, there was great meat, there was beef, there was lobster, there were a rack of lamb, so very big too, but there was one salad, iceberg. There was no leek. there was no <laughs> there was no shallot, there was no <laughs> barely parsley, there was no oriental vegetable. And I remember saying, Where is the mushroom? I L five, that was canned mushroom. You gotta go to a specialty store to get mushroom in New York. So, you know, it was another world, you know, uh, very different than, uh, than what I've heard. And you look at the supermarket now, they never been as beautiful as they are today. You know, it's a, it's a different world. <laughs> what are you having for dinner tonight? Well, that's a good point. I haven't decided that. I have to look what I have uh, in my freezer. I know I'm going to have tomato because I basically have tomato all the time now that they are all eating tomatoes every day, right? Yeah. now. Yeah. And, uh, I think I'm going to have a piece of fish. I had some fish at my, my, in my freezer. Or so, and maybe some clam because I had some oyster and clam someone brought me. So, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that does it for us. Jacques. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck Thank with you. the new
2: book. I love Thank seeing you. you. I love talking to you. I love you. You're the best. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. And, uh, Happy cooking and have a great day. Okay. Thank you, Jacques. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. I have such a
0: nice recipe for you today from Jacques. I wish I had gotten him to read it because, you know, it's so much fun to listen to him. But they are called eggs genette. And uh, it's not a formal recipe. Uh, it's an informal one. as So many of his are. I am just going to read it. No fake accent. Straight from the book. I christened Mama's most famous and perhaps my family's favorite egg dish, Eggs Jeannette, after her. Mama split hard-cooked eggs in half lengthwise and removed the yolks. She made a persiade by chopping garlic and parsley together and mashed it into the yolks, along with salt and pepper. She added a few tablespoons of milk to blend the ingredients, and then she spooned them back into the hollowed-out whites, setting aside a few tablespoons worth for a sauce. This is me, Mark, interrupting now. So basically you have garlic, parsley, deviled eggs at this point. No mayonnaise, interestingly enough. Now I'm back to Jacques' voice. I suppose she could have stopped there and had very good stuffed eggs. But Mama elevated the dish to something truly special by frying the eggs stuffed side down in a skillet with a dash of butter or oil. They browned beautifully after a couple of minutes. To complete the dish, she topped the eggs with a sauce made from the yolk mixture she reserved along with Dijon-style mustard, peanut oil, and a dribble of vinegar. There you have it, eggs jeanette. Enjoy that. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, I hope you could tell how much we enjoyed it. So thank you to my friend Jacques, who will always be one of my favorites. Uh, for sharing his wisdom and his memories. You can follow him on Instagram at Jacques Pepin Foundation. That's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S-P-E-P-I-N Foundation, all one word. And Art of the Chicken is out now. Thank you all for joining us. Please do subscribe to the podcast and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we are at food at com, and happy to hear from you. Thank you to my co-host, Kate Bittman, and to Davis Lloyd, our engineer. Thank you all for listening, and tune in next week when I promise you we will have somebody amazing. Bye for now.